I don't watch a whole lot of television. Uh, I'm not a big fan of TV. I just, if, if there's not a ball involved, I'm not watching it. It's just that simple. Uh, if there's not gold shiny helmets or green and gold helmets, um, then I'm not watching. Uh, if it doesn't involve a bat and a ball and a team from the south side, I'm not watching. Um, so I, I just, I'm just not a big fan of TV, especially reality programs. And there's so many of them. There's so many reality TV shows, and it just drives me crazy. And, and this one, American Idol. Okay, I watched it for a couple of seasons, and I tell you what, uh, one of the things that I just hated about this show was the audition shows. How many of you watched American Idol back in its heyday? Remember the audition shows? And it was like these people would come on and, and like some dude in a banana costume, you know, getting up there and just, you know, singing uh, the birthday song by the Beatles. And you're like, what is going on here? Is this what television has devolved into? I mean, is this seriously? There used to be great shows like, you know, the Carol Burnett show and I Love Lucy and all these great old TV shows and Cheers. Norm! You know what I'm talking about, right? And it's like... I did a really great sermon once, by the way, just not to toot my own horn. I really did a really great sermon once about how the church should be like Cheers. Maybe I'll do that for you someday, but that's neither here nor there. Anyway, um, so you've got this show and, and this guy in the black t-shirt with the scowl. It's the Simon Cowell scowl. I find it all a bit boring. Is what he would say. That was like the, his trademark. I find it all a bit boring. Or very karaoke, he would say. It's very karaoke. And like he's so much better. Anyway, so you have these people come on and they're being judged for their performance. They're, they're coming on the show and, and, and for the most part on the audition shows, it was like 98% of, of people who were just, you know, buffoons uh, and, and, and who, and they would come up all arrogant and, and it's like, yeah, I'm a great singer. And it's like, eh, what is going on here? Occasionally there was a person who'd come out and they'd be kind of awkward looking and kind of strange. And then the most beautiful sounds would come out of their mouths and you're like, wow, that's amazing. But for the most part, it's the guy in the banana costume. And it's like, what is going on here? And, and people would come on the American Idol and they would be judged time and again for their performance. And I think about my life. And, and I think about us and, and God. And I wonder sometimes if we are really afraid of God as our judge. Judging our performance. Almost as if God is like this vindictive mean judge who has just got his arms crossed shaking his head with a scowl on his face we are so performance based in our society we are so performance based in our jobs even in our homes with our children, with our spouses. What have you done for me lately? We're so performance-based. Even in our churches, we tend to be very performance-based. What have you done for God lately? What are you doing for Jesus? 
How are you living up? How are you measuring up? How is your performance measuring up? And we think that God is like Simon Cowell, just waiting to lower the boom. I find it all a bit pathetic. And we're so scared that we're not measuring up because we know ourselves, because we know our sins, we know our struggles, we know our addictions, we know our habits, and none of them are good. We know the the decisions that we've made in the past. We know the decisions that we're making now. We know the decisions that we're considering for the future. And we know that we don't measure up. We know that we fall short. We know that we sin against God time and time again. And we're terrified that he's like this. That he's like a a mean British judge in a black t-shirt with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face. I find your performance awful. The pressure to perform is so great in our lives in so many areas. And I don't know that that's what being a Christian is really all about. That it is about my performance. And I think that the passage we're going to study today in the book of Hebrews is going to help us in many ways. We are looking at Hebrews chapter 8. We have been studying the book of Hebrews on Sunday morning since the beginning of summer. And we're talking about this series called Jesus is Greater. And we have seen how Jesus is greater than uh, uh, the entire Old Testament, than than the patriarchs, greater than Moses, greater than the angels. And today we're going to see how Jesus is our mediator. Last week, for the past few weeks, we've talked about how Jesus was a, a great high priest He's a great king, and he's a a great high priest and king in the order of Melchizedek. And you may be thinking, great, what's a Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a high priest and king of God Almighty in the Old Testament, in Genesis Genesis 14. But for today, uh, we've seen how Jesus was even greater than Melchizedek, and Jesus is the great high priest and the great king. And today we're going to see how Jesus is our, our mediator. So if you can grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 8. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair rack in front of you and turn to page 849. If you can't find Hebrews 8, it's on page 849 of the chair Bible in front of you. Uh, And uh, we are going to start by reading in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. The point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The tabernacle was the place of worship. And now uh, the, the earthly tabernacle built in the Old Testament is a representation of the heavenly tabernacle where the worship of God goes on forever and ever and ever. 
Here in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we see that Jesus is not only our great high priest and king, he is also our mediator. We'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But Jesus uh, is uh, offering gifts and sacrifices. He offered a gift and a sacrifice on our behalf. And the gift and sacrifice he offered was that of himself. When he went to the cross and he suffered and he died, he gave up his own life for us, for you, for me, for everyone. He suffered and died for our sins, for our sakes. How many of you have a a brother or sister or or multiple siblings? Lots of us have siblings. I have three of them, all younger. Now, how many of you uh, saw your brothers and sisters get into trouble when you were a kid? All the time. All the time. I was the angel. You don't believe it. I can tell by your laughter. How many of you ever volunteered to take the punishment for your brother or sister? Some of you have. There's a special place in heaven for you. Because the rest of us are not that noble. No, when you think about like your brother or sister getting into trouble... It's more of something along the lines of, (laughs) you're going to get it, you're going to get it, mommy is bad at you, daddy's going to get you when you get when he gets home. (laughs) And then dad would get home and you're like, yes, you know, and you know what I'm talking about, right? And then you go and listen behind the door. (laughs) Anyway, rather than like volunteering to take their punishment, you're hoping they get it twice as bad. That's called sibling rivalry. It's beautiful. And so, um... Jesus, though, Jesus offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, that what we deserve because of our sins is death, and, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, that Jesus gave up his own life. He volunteered to take our punishment. That's what the cross is all about, that Jesus took our punishment on the cross. We deserved it. He took it. That's unbelievable. That's, that's incredible love. That's almost unbelievable love. But it's true. He took the punishment for our sins. He took the punishment for my sin, for the things that I do, the the things that I say, the things that I think that I know are wrong, that I shouldn't do, and yet he took that punishment for me, knowing that I was going to sin. Long before I was ever born, he took that punishment for me. He took that punishment for you. That's what the cross is all about. And he was crucified and then he was buried in a a borrowed tomb and he was raised to life on the third day just as God promised to raise him from the dead he was raised to life on the third day 40 days later he ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of of God Almighty uh, interceding for us being our mediator let's talk a little bit about mediator let's look at uh, let's look at verses 6 and 7 but the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs, to the high priests, to the priests of Israel, as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, and it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man 
Christ Jesus. That Jesus is our mediator. And you may be wondering, well, what in the world is a mediator? According to uh, the Greek language, the Greek word for mediator means one who mediates between two parties to remove a disagreement or to reach a a common goal. So you have two parties. You have God and you have humanity. And in between them is Jesus uh, removing a disagreement. And the disagreement is our sin. And he helps us reach a common goal, which is salvation. Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who mediates a new covenant. The Greek word for covenant is the word diatheke. It's this word. If you read Greek, you know that says diatheke. If you don't read Greek, I'll tell you, this says diatheke. Theotheke is, is the Greek word for covenant. I want to read to you a definition of covenant uh, from the Life Application Bible Commentary. A covenant, diatheke, refers to a guaranteed agreement between two parties that was mutually beneficial to both parties. Each party agreed to responsibilities and sealed the covenant. Many Old Testament covenants were sealed with blood. If one party failed to fulfill the responsibilities, the covenant was broken. Often these agreements were initiated by the stronger party or victorious king. In the Old Testament, and in this case, the covenant was initiated by God who invited people to enter the agreement. The Old Covenant fell apart because the people did not live up to their responsibilities which were keeping the law. The Old Testament covenant was not, uh, the people couldn't keep it. Because they kept breaking the law. In Exodus 24, the people said, we will obey you. We will obey the covenant. We will obey your law. And time and time again, they broke the covenant. They broke the law. And God says, I got to have a new covenant. And the cool thing about this new covenant, like I said, covenants were often signed in blood. Listen to Luke twenty-two seventeen through 20. After taking the cup, he gave, thank, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my, what? which is poured out for you. What did I say about covenants being signed in blood? This new covenant is signed in the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross for our sins. And if we will put our faith and trust in Christ, then by God's grace, we will be saved. We are entering into a new covenant with Jesus, but with God through Jesus Christ as our mediator. Let's keep reading. Starting in verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. That's the prophet Jeremiah. He's quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And the prophet Jeremiah prophesied 600 years before Jesus was born. 600 years before Jesus was born, God said, I am going to make a new covenant. And it's not going to be with, at the time Jeremiah was writing, it was a divided kingdom. There was the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And they were divided. He says, I'm going to make this covenant with both 
Israel and Judah. I'm going to bring them back together. This covenant is not going to be for one kingdom or the other kingdom. It's going to be for everybody. And in Jesus' blood, this covenant is for everybody. It's for you. It's for me. This new covenant is, uh, is for everyone. It's for everybody. It's for you. It's for me. It's for sinners. It's for saints. It's for everyone. This covenant in Jesus' blood keep reading. We're going to finish the chapter. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear i love verse 12 i love hebrews 8 12 for i will forgive their sins and will remember their wickedness no more that through jesus christ our sins are forgiven and they are forgotten our sins are forgiven and they are forgotten When you put your faith and trust in Christ, you believe in Jesus, you repent from your sins, you confess your faith and you are baptized, your sins are washed away. As far as the east is from the west so far, God takes your sins and removes them from you and he forgives your sins and remembers them no more. Two things happen when you're baptized. Two things happen. One, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit and two, your sins are forgiven and they are forgotten. Imagine that for just a moment. Your sins are forgotten. Forgotten. And and God has a funny memory. Because, see, the devil will come and try and accuse you. Sean, you remember when you did that. Sean, you remember this addiction, this bad habit, this sinful behavior. Those words you said that cut that other person like a knife. Those thoughts you think remember all that stuff Sean and I start living with guilt and shame that I have this guilt and the shame just surrounding me like a cloud pouring out rain on my head I feel this guilt and the shame all the time and I go to God and I say God I can't believe I did it again I can't believe I said it again I can't believe I thought that I God I'm so sorry for what I keep doing I'm sorry for the sinfulness I'm sorry for all these sins that I keep committing and I'm sorry that I'm such a sinner and I have all this shame and all of this guilt and I go to God and I say God do you remember when I did that and God says I have no idea what you're talking about I have no idea what you're talking about because when I say I forgive I forget and as far as the east is from the west Sean Cornett so far have I removed your transgressions from you I'm like Teflon baby devil tries to make it stick and it just slides right off not because of any great thing i have done but because of the grace of god not because i'm so wonderful but because jesus is so amazing not because i'm such a great performer not because i have so much uh, all of this performance ability no this is what it's all about this new covenant is based on jesus's perfection not on our performance. This new covenant is based on Jesus' perfection, 
not on our performance. Because see, when I'm trying to perform for God, when I'm trying to earn his favor, when I'm trying to earn his grace, when I'm trying to earn his love, and it's based on my performance, I fall woefully short. I fall incredibly short. But when Jesus died for me, he became my mediator. He goes between me and God. Let me share with you this little definition of Jesus. As high priest and advocate, Jesus ensures God's acceptance of us. As the one who sacrificed himself for our sins, Jesus ensures our acceptability before God. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about how great you are and how wonderful you do and how amazing your performance is. It is about Jesus' perfection. That when you gave your heart and your life to Jesus, he changed you. He transformed you. He made you brand new. Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Meaning that when God looks at you, he no longer sees you. He sees who? He sees Jesus. When God looks at you, he no longer sees you. He sees Jesus. And what did I say? That, that this covenant is not about your performance. It's about Jesus' perfection. And so imagine for just a minute. Imagine, if you will, for just a minute. This, this really takes hold in your heart. And this really, you get this. You get this. You understand this. That this is all about Jesus and it's about what he did for you and not what you do for him. But it's all about what he did on the cross for you. And imagine the freedom that this gives you. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from shame. Freedom from the pressure to perform. You don't have to put on an act for God. You don't have to put on an act for Jesus. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to have th this anxiety and this worry and this fear over being good enough of, of putting on an act for God. You don't have to be there anymore. Jesus came to set you free. Free from the worry, free from the guilt, free from the shame, free from the performance pressure. God looks at you as his precious, precious and says, you no longer have to perform for me. Because Jesus paid it all for you. And so imagine, if you will, for just a moment, what a church would look like if we really got this. Because, see, if we no longer have to perform, if we no longer, if it's not based on our performance, then it's not based on anyone else's performance. It means that anybody can walk in, anybody can come in on a Sunday morning. And we don't look at them and say, okay, now you better start act, cleaning up your act. You better start getting right with God. You better start, you better start being a, a better person. You better, you better start performing. No, it means we rip off the masks. It means we tear off the masks and we say it's not about your performance. It's about Jesus' perfection and how that is applied to us through the cross. Imagine, if you will, that the people come in and they, they feel loved. 
because we've been loved. People come in and they are comforted because we have been comforted. People come in and they feel like they can have peace with God because we have peace with God. People come in and they can feel forgiven because we have been forgiven. Because see, that's what it comes down to is comforting others with the comfort we've received, loving others with the love we've received, giving peace to others with the peace that we've received, giving forgiveness to others with the forgiveness that we've received. It's not based on your performance. It's based on Jesus' perfection. And he lived a perfect life for you and for me. Regardless of our performance.